Heart Show. This show is brought to you by JCLV21. This show is where we talk with powerful women who are shaking up the globe with spreading love, wholeness, and wellness. This show was created to be a living anthology of influential women in local communities who lead by example and speak from the heart. Today, I have the honor and the privilege to be with Lois Hampson, who is a speaker and the founder of Wings LCC. Lois, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners? <laughs> Hello, my name is Lois Hampson, and I own, operate, and design my Wings company, and Wings stands for Whole Integration for New Growth Services. And I endeavor to help people find that love center within, or as my sister says, find that chocolate in the center of that tissue roll. I absolutely love it. So my question to you is this, because we're already, we're going to go we're going to jump in. Okay? okay. We hear what you're doing now, but we got to go back into the beginning if you will, for you specifically. So my first question to you is, can you describe your childhood in three words? A mixed bag. Okay. <laughs> can you further elaborate? <laughs> uh, it's like a mixed bag of tricks. It was, there was times when it was positive, very positive. There were times when it was very negative. There were times when, when it was peaceful, there was times when it was crazy. It was a mixed bag of tricks. It was not never in something that was stable at all whatsoever because it was always going up and down um, and swinging to the opposite poles of the continuum. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. So we can get through, see, we can paint the picture. Mm -hmm. What, who were your parents? exactly and what did they do in life okay well my mother was a young mother and by the time i came along she was 20 years old and already had two kids okay we ended up having six kids in our family which was four boys and two girls and myself being the oldest and my sister felicia being the youngest girl and then i had two older brothers and two younger brothers and my mom came out to California from St. Louis because she was escaping abuse and other stuff. And she came to California to live with her sister. Uh, my dad, he was also an escapee <laughs> from Louisiana who was also a musician. And the police harassed him one last time, which made him flight to California. And they told him that they beat him up and told him the next time they see him on the streets of Nolens. Okay, that's the way he said. It. They said Nolens. They they would leave him in Potter's Field. And if anybody knows anything about Nolens, New Orleans, there was a place that when they were doing all that lynching and stuff and and leaving black bodies in places, it was a place called Potter's Field that was notorious for where they would hang a black person. You know, my bad dad was born in '38. My mom was born in '41. So they were born at that at the height of all the segregation and the civil rights and all that kind of stuff. And my dad, my mom had a 10th grade education 
and my dad had an eighth grade education. And the two of them, between the two of them, there was a mixed bag of tricks. Okay. I have a question for you because um, before me, you were you were raised around a different time in history. Mm -hmm. Can mm -hmm. you paint the stage as to what you were born into? Because I think that also gives context to your story. Okay. I was born in the early 60s, which is the baby boomers generation, that toward the end of the baby boomers generation. Uh, at the time, there was a lot of civil unrest. Um, I was with my mom when she went and marched uh, for civil rights with some of the big some of the big dogs and, and when she worked with some of the, the not so big dogs and got blackballed from being able to work for a government establishment anywhere uh, because she was protesting and marching and the watch riots, I, can, I remember that. Um, and then of course there were other, other situations in history where, you know, she was um, helping people to get, try to get elected into office um, that would that promised that they would change things. At one point in time, the reason she got blackballed is because she started working with the Black Panther Party for a brief stint. So that's what was going on during the time I was raised. And in the neighborhood I was raised in, it was a middle-class Black neighborhood, but to hear people tell it by the time I got to high school, I was told I grew up in the ghetto and I didn't realize I grew up in the ghetto because I had the basic necessities of life and at times I felt thoroughly loved but at times I felt thoroughly despised so uh, I thought that was everybody's um, childhood there was times in my childhood where I was molested by a few family members and then later on you know I experienced sexual assault and all that other kind of stuff and I was kind of child that um was very sensitive and uh and uh, i think uh, graciela called it the x, x ah, hsp it? hs thank you hsp highly sensitive uh person, person okay and so my mom recognized that i was highly sensitive and i had wisdom beyond my years and she would ask me uh questions that were adult questions but for some reason my brain was still open for it so I was able to answer. So I kind of like became a mother to my mother in a little bit of a kind of way. And, you know, so I kind of mothered my mother in some ways and in other ways. Uh, I also mothered my brothers and sisters. Now, did I get mothered at times when I, if I did something to warrant attention, then I'd, I'd get yelled at or whooped or whatever. And then uh, they would, she would sit down and say, now, I know you know better. Why did you do that? And, it, and I, most times I did something wrong so that I can talk to my mother because any other time she was too busy with all the other kids that was in the house. And she felt like I didn't need any help, you know. So And it was in an age where they were trying to toughen you up because you were a black kid growing up in this half-segregated, not integrated, not equal place so that you wouldn't end up in jail or, or in somebody's potter's field, they raised us to try to be, to harden us. And they did things, quote unquote, to harden us so that the police wouldn't do it. So um, so a lot of things they did was, in abuse right now, it would be called severe child abuse, you know, with some of the tactics they took. But they said, they just used me, I'm gonna say it like this, they'd rather beat our ass than have the man beat our ass, and that's what they called it at the time, the man, 
you know, that would mm-hmm. that meant any white person in control. Okay. Um, so basically that, that was the environment I grew up in. And with my daddy being a musician, a very prominent musician at, at that, because he played with the likes of uh, Temptations, Lou Rawls, Mighty Clouds of Joy. I mean, uh, Diodato. I mean, a cold, a cold, one of the cold trains. I don't remember which one. Um, so he played with a lot of different groups and and some of the rock stars, Jimi Hendrix, and a whole lot of people. So at any given time, these musicians from all walks of life were rolling through our house. And I got to see the seedier side of celebrity, you know, um, and that was hard to see. And but it was also funny, you know. I'm sorry, I was a kid. I laughed. So, uh, but it was a seedier side uh, of that entertainment industry, and that made me not want to develop my voice or anything like that, or play any rhythm, play of any musical instrument beyond the violin that I played for like three or four years as a kid. So, okay. So, hmm. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. And I will say, I thank you for sharing and being open about your childhood with us. And I have one more question specifically about your um, childhood, childhood. And that mm-hmm. would be Did you have any dreams as a child? that you wanted to do when you became older or anything like that with all the things going on at that time? What future did you see for yourself while going through the time where segregation was still a thing, where lynching was still prominent, where people were actually getting stoned and a whole bunch of other things out on the streets? <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, oh my God. I ain't that Hey. People are still stoned to today. So I'm just saying it probably was more prominent and we didn't have social media to record it. Okay. Well, so okay, okay, okay. Well, when I was seven years old, my first dream was to get saved. Okay. And I didn't mean it in a spiritual, religious, gospel way. I wanted to be saved from that house with all that crazy in it. Okay. With them arguing all the time and and fighting each other and beating us and yelling and cursing. And one day we come home, it's, it's beautiful, uh, Ozzie Nelson house and it, everybody's all nice and calm and, and we're playing and we're just enjoying childhood. But the very next day I could come in and all hair was breaking loose and we had to hide. So me and my brother made a pact and we made our own language so we would know what the house was like when we got home. And if he got home first, he was to tell me the weather report. And if I got home first, I was to tell him the weather report and we would do it in code, okay? So nobody ever knew what we were talking about. So we would know whether we needed to protect our siblings or can, we could just have fun. And the mood of the house was, was uh, I would say, it, it was taken over by my mother's emotions that would swing back and forth. So, um, my thing when I was a child, I wanted to understand why my family was so crazy, why I couldn't, why I, and then why I didn't feel like I fit in because I was not like other children. I was a little bit different. I was a little bit odd, you know, and um, and I didn't like how I felt. So my thing was, I wanted to, when I grew up, I wanted to become a doctor so that mm-hmm. I could help the people feel better or that felt like I did feel better 
And I found out later that was that that, that was a degree in psychology, which I did uh, go ahead and do. But yeah, I, I wanted to help the people, the kids, other kids, other people who felt as unloved and uh, I mean, I was more like um, because the, the emotional abuse. They were mm-hmm. emotionally abused or physically abused and didn't have somebody to talk to because we were told you don't tell nobody what goes on inside this house. Otherwise, you know, I brought you in this world. People laugh about Bill Cosby saying that on that show. And I take you out. And I won't be real. I believe that they could take me out. I saw guns in the closet. I've seen them fight mm-hmm. each other. So they put the fear of everything in me. And I carried that fear with me everywhere I went. So it, that was a marking. And I didn't want people to feel all that crazy. So if I saw somebody who was needing help, even other friends that even at seven, eight, nine years old, I was going to help them. Okay, I would, I would talk to them if they look like they all by themselves sitting on the curb while we all playing softball in the street and they feeling like they don't fit in. I would go get that kid and I'd bring them in. Or if there was a kid getting bullied, like I got bullied at home, uh, I would straight up go over there and I was a bully buster. Okay, I wasn't a fighter at that time, but I didn't let nobody pick on nobody else. So, okay. so yeah, so that that's that's how I got done, started down my professional track, um, being a defender of those who were defenseless, uh, who I thought were defenseless. I'm gonna be real, who I thought were defenseless, defenseless, or needed somebody to talk. To. This show is brought to you by JCLV21. JCLV21 is a coaching company that was created to help women business owners, podcasters, and entrepreneurs build the foundation for their business or their podcast. With automation, structure, marketing, hiring, and mentorship, JCLV21 provides you with what you need to be successful for your business, your podcast, and your life. They believe that everyone deserves to shine in their divine. Head over to jclv21.com to book a call or text the word book to 702-334-8470 to schedule a free consultation today. Now let's head back to the interview. Okay, so I have a question because you did bring up fighting. So I didn't have to actually ask you questions to get that out. So um, can you, ex- okay, so in your early childhood, because you said that you were physically touched unwantedly, um, and that was molestation, um, sexual assault, there's no trigger warning, it's just sexual assault, because that's what it is. Um, so my question to you is this, is, is how did you get to here? How did you fight? All of this, because that's a lot going on in the household. You sound like you were dealing with a mom that sounded like they were probably bipolar. They had their highs. They had their lows. You had a father who was in fear all the time and most likely was depressed. Um, so how, how, how did you combat that? Like, what what did that look like? Well, I love to play as a kid and I love to dance. I, I got a thing from dancing from way back, you know, and I stopped dancing a while in childhood because of some of that molestation stuff. But I would I would go into my own little world and I would dance and I would be listening to the music playing and I'd be off in a bedroom somewhere 
twirling a scarf and, and just dancing my heart out. And that was, that was one way that I remember dealing with it. Another way, I actually told the people that where I thought would, could help me what happened to me. And because for whatever reason, I can't tell you quick words in nobody's mouth, for whatever reason, the help wasn't available. The help wasn't available. So I was taught up those feelings, let the past be past, and, and that happened then, get over it, put your feelings in your pocket. If you weren't laying down, they couldn't step on you, and all that kind of, I, those are the things that I was told. And so in, in essence, I was told to take whatever I was feeling and stuff it inside because they couldn't deal with it. Okay, so you danced to release that. I danced for, I always, I'm always dancing. I still do it now. You know, if I had some music, music was playing right now, I'd be dancing. But yeah, I danced. I danced because music was always playing in our house. And that was one way I can get away. Another thing I did, I, I sang. I sang, sang, sang. I would sing sad, pitiful songs. <laughs> I would sing upbeat songs. And I one song, I remember when it came out, it was when I was in high school. And my daddy said, you better not never sing that song no more. And it was I'm Going Down on the Car Wash album by Rolls Royce. <laughs> and he said, I had too much damn emotion in that song. <laughs> so I was, I was forbade or forbidden to sing that sad ass song. And I really, I really never ever sung it again, not with all that emotion, because, uh, yeah. And I, was, and I was good at it too, because people would just sit around, because we would have talent shows on our street. And we would, and we would get to um, show our talents. Dancing, singing, and that was a regular twice a year thing we did because we wanted to raise money to go to amusement parks. But yeah, so so singing, dancing, uh, writing until a teacher told me that my writing was terrible. Okay, so I stopped writing, you know, and I had to grow, I'll grow that, you know, and, and heal from that as well because I'll write, I'll write every day, but I don't necessarily want anything I write published unless I, the Spirit tells me, okay, now. Go ahead, dig out your journals, and let's put some together. But I've not been instructed to do that. <laughs> but yeah, so okay. I would write. Okay, I would. Oh my God, the biggest thing I would escape by going to the library. It was a safe space, okay. And I my ass stayed in the library, and I drove my brother and sister to the library with me when I was a kid. This might sound horrible, but for those that don't know what a library is, can you please describe what that is? Some people. I love people. But just in case, what is the library? I'll say this. I will try and credit to the people that. Okay, the library is a place you go where you actually walk in and you look in a a card catalog file cabinet for the Dewey Decimal number to find the book that may or may not be there. And then you would have to check the books out and take them home to read them. Or you can sit in the library and read and stay there as long as until, well, until the library closes, until they kick your ass out. Well, because that's what they had to do with me. They had to kick my ass out. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, or my mom, had, well, my mom would let me go. So those are my escapes. Dancing, singing, the library, you know, uh, uh, staring into space. I imagined a lot of stuff. I stared in the space. I was a deep, deep thinker. And my deep thinking led me to deep compassion. So I, I, I did. T- so for me, it was not, I kind of was transforming stuff before I knew what transforming stuff means. 
meaning that I was turning my my hardship into somebody else's healing. And I believe in turning your hardship into healing. I believe in transmuting all that stuff, you know, um, because it can be transmuted. So uh, until I knew that I could transmute it within myself, within myself, I was helping other people transmute things. I love that. And so so now I have questions because... um, from my research in that time uh-huh. frame, church was a very, um, it was a staple in the Black um, community. My okay. question is this, is that um, I like always going over the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is about how do you form your faith with reason, experience, tradition, sculpture, or a little bit of each one. Can you tell us how you formed your faith experience okay like when i said i was seven years old and i wanted to be saved from the house with all that crazy i saw a sign on this little white house church it was a house turned into a church on the corner two blocks away and i was seven and i asked my mom can i go to that church because the sign on the marquee says jesus will save you and since i wanted to be saved and i and i'm a seven I didn't, like I said, <laughs> I wanted to go to that church. And luckily, even though she wasn't a church for herself, she allowed me to. And so I went there every Sunday morning for Sunday school. And like you said, for the, in the talk we had earlier, for the snacks, for, for the juice and the graham crackers or whatever, because that was a treat back in that day, you know. Um, and, and then we would have Sunday school and then we'd go in front of the church and tell what we learned. And one of the things I prayed for as a child was wisdom. You know, when they asked, told us to ask, ask, we had to ask God for things that we would want from Santa Claus. And we would have, we only could pick one thing. And I came back asking for wisdom. The kids laughed at me and adults cried. So I didn't know how to, hey, that was a mixed bag of tricks too. So I didn't want to speak in front of people no more. Okay. So it was some stuff, like I said, fear was really ingrained into me. And it was easy for me to fear the next thing when somebody laughed or because I cared about how people viewed me at that time because I was a child. It makes sense. Because that's about here's the validation piece. And if you were not really getting words of affirmation, you're not getting built up, but you're getting put down. And that was just to make sure that you weren't going to get hurt from the outside world. Yes. Counterintuitive, but. Reverse they psychology, did the best that they could. but that was the best. Yeah, exactly. That was the best they can do because you got to realize my mom and dad only had a 10th and an 8th grade education. So they didn't hadn't learned all this higher stuff like therapy and, 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 and working your stuff out and anything like that. And then because at the time of the, that it was going on, the white community and the black community was still so separated. The black people didn't trust the white people. They, hence, they didn't trust therapy and all that kind of stuff because they were doing experiments on black men and all kinds of stuff back in the day the Tuskegee experiment where they gave black men syphilis so the belief in therapy and, and getting your getting help for the black community the only place you could get the help was the church and if the church was just as sick as your family of origin guess what you got more abused at the church which is kind of like what I walked into when it came to church more abuse 
because those are, and, I, and I understood that church is where the sick people go to get well. But the thing is, is you go into the church that the sick people go to get well, when do they get well? Mm-hmm. You know, that was it, my it's question. It's a good question. <laughs> okay, so. So I have a question now. Um, and this is just to give more context really fast, is okay. what was the technology like at the time? Because I really want the context to be here. Because you brought up library, you brought up talent shows on the street. Um, please help those that are more of the newer generations understand technology at this time. Okay, uh, the big thing on the stage when I was a kid was getting a telephone that was on the wall in the kitchen with a cord long enough to reach all around the house, which was rare. If we, if you had a cord that you can walk and talk with your telephone, hey, you was kicking ass and taking names and numbers because you weren't stuck sitting at the phone because a lot of times the phone only had a, a eight or 12 foot cord and it couldn't reach to all the rooms in the house and you'd be stuck trying to yell in the other room but when that cord came out for that telephone hook to that wall and you can walk that long cord all around everywhere at least in three rooms and then the other phone would take the other three rooms that was doing the shit back then and transistor radio because we didn't have uh, uh, all the cassettes and all that stuff didn't come out yet eight tracks hadn't come out yet they were listening to music on reel to reel and 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 um and and recording tracks on reel to reel Okay. Uh, also, the TVs, the majority of the TVs that were out were in black and white. If you had a color TV when I was a child, you was, you there wasn't no color TV, but like that. When they came out, only a select few had the color TVs. Okay. And it was a big old giant box that was heavy as Methuselah if you had a 19 inch screen. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm serious. It had okay. tubes in it. And that big old giant test tubes with like test tubes in the back of it, you know, that would put, well, I, we took, I took stuff apart when I was a kid. I, that was other thing. I was creative. Me and my brother built, um, built, uh, vehicles <laughs> out of, uh, out of lawnmower parts, out of whatever we can find, grocery cards. I mean, we made all kinds of vehicles with which we could ride in, you know, like a little go-kart type of deals and, and then we would take toast. I would take toasters apart to fix them. They would work for a little while, and they would break again, and I fix it again. They worked for a little while, and then finally just had to throw it away. But I like to take. I used to like to tinker and help my dad when he was, because he also, in addition to being a musician, he was an expert drywall uh, hanger. And so I know I knew how to hang drywall and tape walls and and cut out closets and build frames. And so that, that's what you see when you see me building on stuff where I get all that stuff from. Because that was that was an escape as a child for me. One, and it was a one way for me to get closer to my dad because he was there, but he was most times absentee because he was either um, drinking or high or working or doing something else other than uh, paying attention to us kids. And he left that to my mother, and then my mother, she was so protective of us. Anytime we spend any time by our, with our dad. She, she was trying to figure out, is he touching us? And I'm thinking, huh? So I thought that was weird. But then his brother was the molester. So I understand where my mother <laughs> got that from, you know, where she felt that. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. I thank you for answering that because I just want to make sure the picture is painted as to uh-huh. also explain why you said that your father and your mother didn't have a super high education. The internet wasn't really around at that time. Like, 
at all. No, so no. The information wasn't as easy as it is now with iPhones, um, phones, and all the different things that we have now. Oh, yeah. You can go to YouTube University and learn any damn thing and find anything you want to fix, anything you want to repair. You can go on there, look it up, and you can find it. And if you want to grow spiritually, information, everything is on you at YouTube University. I got it. I got a master's degree from YouTube University. And I'm sorry. I love you so much. You're hilarious. (laughs) Um, So I have questions because we focused on your childhood. We focused on your parents. We've talked about your faith. Now I want to move into your relationships. So (laughs) you becoming a young adult, um, if I'm not mistaken, you did get married um, and you experienced, I believe, abuse there too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when I got married, um, they said for richer, for poor, for better or for worse, to death do you die. And because I had seen physical violence at home and verbal violence at home, getting married and experiencing it again, I thought that was, I thought, excuse me, I thought that shit was normal until I started talking to other people because, you know, everything was secret. Everything was still a secret. You don't tell people what goes on inside your house. That's for your, totally for your protection. But the thing is, those secrets are the things that keep you sick. That's what I learned, and that's what I taught my clients. Don't keep no damn secrets. If something is happening, you better go tell some damn body so you can get the help you need. But uh, it was still, everything was still secretive. So when I started talking to other women who were married and, and looking at my friends, mothers, parents' marriage, because most of my friends weren't married at the time I was, and I saw their marriage, I was like, wait a minute, he, she ain't yelling at her? She ain't, he ain't yelling at her? What? Wait, he, did, did, what? And they would say, like, I'm mad, okay? This upset me. I couldn't, you know, and I'm thinking... Wait a minute, where's the dishes? Where, where's the rooms? Where's the stuff flying, okay? And I had to see, I saw another side of it. And then that's when I really realized that what I was living was bullshit, okay? And of course, I had to fight back to get out. And the, first, the fight I had to get out was the, the spiritual the spiritual trust in God. And I saw miracles happen when I was married where he was hitting nobody. He wasn't hitting me, but he was fighting somebody because he was getting hit. And that was the strange, some of the strangest stuff. And there was other miracles that happened at that time. And then because he was a boxer in the freaking military and had a record of 98 98 wins at knockouts. Wasn't it Marines specifically? yeah, yeah, in the Marines, okay, ninety some ninety-eight knockouts and uh, one TK, one TKO, one decision, his favor. So uh, my husband was—he was—he was a little bit of a monster, you know. So, um, so yeah. So, but I never—I I, I, look. God kept me. I'm gonna say it like that. God kept me and He protected me. And he helped me get out of it. And he used my ex-husband's uh, parents to do so. Because they said they'd rather have a live crazy son than a dead one. And they, because they saw murder in my eyes when I did fight him back at his mother's house. Wow. Um, okay, so that's a lot. So, wow. Just, wow. 
have a quick question. As a high level, what type mm-hmm. of abuse did you experience in your marriage? Like high level, high level, like the names, like emotional, like what type of abuse exactly would you say? Ooh, all of it. It was in physical, it was emotional, it was sexual, all of it. All of it. It, it was the same as my childhood. It was the same thing. I was magnetized. It was the same, the same shit I had in my marriage was the same shit I had as a child at home, okay? And then you said about the boyfriends or fiancés. Yeah, I've been engaged eight times, married once. And the the reflection in the mirror of what was going on inside of me manifested on the outside of me. Where I was cheating me, they would cheat on me. Where I was mm-hmm. violent to me, they were violent to me. Where I was judgmental of me, they were judgmental of me. And the thing is, I always thought everything was my fault because I was always held accountable for everybody when I was a child. So, like I said, I had a, a really a shitty way. I had some shitty thinking going on. That's why I always talk about the shit being a fertilizer, okay? Because when you got a lot of shit, you can grow a lot of stuff, okay? <laughs> you can. You can. Okay. It's used for fields in the farm. I understand. That's right. Okay. <laughs> But it sure does stink, and it stinks a long time when when you got so much on you and you don't realize that all this is affecting you. And, and then sometimes you're somebody who's unaware, does something, and all this shit flies at them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, there was times when, for me, when I would blow up and whoever was in the way, they got steamrolled. And it wasn't in a good way, you know? But I would, most, most of the times, I was able to my peace and and just be loving and sweet but when it would build up and because I never knew how to get it off me when it would build up I would explode like the pressure cooker and the top would fly and forget every anything and anybody in the way okay because like you like I said before his parents said I had murder in my eyes so wow uh Wow. I'm just going to let it breathe for a second and then I'll ask my next question. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. This is a lot. And I will say this is that those listening in, thank you so much for the claps. I saw you, Andrea. I saw um, you as well, um, Sunny, when it comes to your guys' reactions. So I have a question for you. I'm going to backtrack a little bit based on okay. our research. Um, you pledged Delta Sigma Theta. How did that go? <laughs> and did you, do you have a nickname? Because I heard that's a culture thing when it comes to you pledging. I have questions. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you moved She's laughing, y'all. <laughs> we should be get ready. Strap yourself in if you haven't already. We're about to go on for the wild okay. ride. Come on now. Yes. I am, I, I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta, TTBOD, to anybody who's a Delta out there. Okay. Um, <laughs> and pledging the sorority. <sighs> that that was a whole nother mixed bag because, again, because I was magnetized for abuse, guess what? That was an abusive situation as well. But each situation, like I said, I fought anything the best way I could. So when I pledged... <laughs> When I pledged, it was back in 82, I believe, 81, 82. It, it was during a time when pledging was still, they were still doing hazing and and, and uh, degrading you and, 
and lying on you and, and hollering in your face with spit flying and you're supposed to stand there and take it because again they were toughening you up for the real world okay but that but it but it yeah that's what i said too and i'm thinking okay it, it is 1980 something this ain't slavery time we ain't gotta be you ain't gotta do all that so of course um being voice that i am I fought against it, and I got everybody in my pledge line on the bandwagon to fight against it. The first time we all quit because of, uh, one of our sisters had got in a car accident, and we didn't want to go because they had called the, the sorority sisters from Louisiana, and those were the, some of the hardcore hazing people. So we didn't want to go. So instead of just not going because we didn't want to go, and since our sister had an accident, and they said all for one and one for all. We said we all have to be at the hospital with her <laughs> because wow. one of our sisters, one of our legs was at the hospital, so all of us must be at the hospital. Of course, they got pissed off, okay? <laughs> and we said, this is what you've been teaching us, that you didn't you I, I told you I was a CDC thinker, okay? They tried to guilt us and say we needed, we had to be there. No, we need to be with our sister. She is in the hospital being treated because she was in a car. And that was the truth. She had been in a car accident. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, we, were we all at the hospital? Hell no. We just weren't going. And that was the best way to get them off our back. And But then, the aftermath of that, they are hazing us again, all up in our face and stuff. And then it got to the face where, since they were being so abominable, well, I'll say it like that, or terrible, uh, mm -hmm. I convinced everybody to quit <laughs> because we didn't deserve that. We did not deserve that. And we all we all said we were going to quit. So when they came to us, because we didn't go to them, uh, everybody backed down. Okay? But I'm being real. I wasn't taking no more abuse. I said, I'm gone. Okay? And, there, and nobody walked with me. And I walked out by myself and I went to my friend's house my best friend's house and her mother's in Delta also. And, and, and but once somebody actually, once we all quit, the word got out to the older sorority members and the younger one from the big chapter all the way up, into, up to the chapter in DC. And we ended up changing things because I walked out that time and, and she taught me, that was when she told me that my biggest strength was also my greatest weakness, which was my independence. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that rang so true to me. I rejoined the line, and then they pulled some other stuff on us again. And this time, the whole line walked out, and they had to call the people from Washington to come down and do a hearing with us as to why we left. And of course, all the bullshit got called to the carpet. And I told them, um, I don't understand. We come here. And we're built up. We have to meet all these requirements to get in here, grade point averages, community service, all this stuff, only to get here for us to be in all these different colleges for you to tear us down, saying it's part of the planning process. This is not the 1960. You know, this is, you know, we don't need to be tore down. And the thing is, if I'm already built up, why you want to tear me down? Why you want to make, you know, it's kind of like, why are you going to make me a, a, a group of, you know, to take away my individuality, tear me down to build me up. If I'm already built up, build me up more. And so I said, that's why we quit. <laughs> and they held, they, 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 we're going to have a decision, blah, 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 blah. 
And then they changed the pledging requirements that year and they crossed us anyway without all the bullshit. Okay. Um, and because they, they were they were demeaning when it came to our probate names. But my name, Big Sister name, was Big Sister Little Angel. And with our lot names, we had to have a poem for the pledges to say. And so Tell mine me. was you said, I know you wanted that out. It was, my name is Little Angel. I'm quiet, simple, and sweet. But if anybody fuck with me, I'm going to knock them off their motherfucking feet. Did you have them cussing? Yes, did I you did. Did you actually have them? Oh, my. Yes, I did. Okay, because cussing is not this lot illegal. And they were not, you know, and they know that I was sweet. I I, I was the one who fought for the pledges when they got online. And went, especially when my, my sister started, uh pledging them like we had been pledged and I, I walked out I walked out okay and I'll be honest with you I have not been much of a part of it since I worked for them years later but as far as the whole pledging process and all that shit I walked out because I didn't like the abuse now I understand it's different and it's a different environment and they're still they're 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 more into the scholarship and the grassroots organizations and the community service, and they're not so much so hard on that that pledging bullshit. But it, like I said, it, that was an experience in, in all of itself, and I'm proud to have gone through it because that was part of me beginning to fight back. Okay, so we're going to progress because we got to. Okay. We have all a right. few minutes, pretty much, but we okay. have to. So um, we're, we're going to progress. Guys, we're going over 60 years. So please mm -hmm. bear with me when I'm asking her these questions because I'm really trying to get her entire story and not miss any part because she's lived life. And this is a wealth of information. So I thank you for being with me, Lois. And I thank you for allowing me to ask you all of these questions and your time doing this and your spunkiness. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you for doing it. And you're asking me questions that I have not thought of in centuries. So you went and you really did homework on me. <laughs> I did. And, I and now we're going to talk about homework on okay. you. And we're going to talk about the fact that you had kids. One in the marriage, in the abuse. Another one shortly after, if I'm not mistaken, you guys separated. And then another child after that. So... Can you please explain to me how all three came to be? Okay. Well, my child of faith I was born in the marriage. With, uh, I, that one, I got pregnant on a honeymoon. And that shit does happen. Okay. Because she was born exactly nine, almost exactly nine months later. And her birthday is tomorrow. I got married February 14th. She was born November 10th. <laughs> you know, so it's like, wait, you know. So, um... But that was my first child, and when that's when I was married. And then when I was getting out, trying to get out of the abusive marriage, uh, once I finally got away, I found out I was pregnant with our second child. So, um, so that's that's how that happened. And then, um, and that was my child of hope, because God told me that child would be a blessing to me all the days of my life, and not to abort her. Uh, Pause. Um, why would you abort her before you even go to the last child? Why would you? Why would that even come to your mind? Because Roe versus Wade—that's a thing now. So I would like to talk about that just for a second. Why? 
Okay. Um, she was a child of rape. He broke in my house when I was living alone with my other daughter, and he raped me. And that's how she came alone. That's why I battled with keeping her or not keeping her. And plus, I, my the oldest one was only four years old at the time, and that was a battle. That was that was a battle, but God gave me hope. He gave mm-hmm. me hope, and I didn't name her Hope. I named her Brianna, which meant strength and compassion. But she was my child of hope that God would renew my strength and everything was going to be okay. And that was her initial be okay. Because mm-hmm. Brianna Octavia Killingsworth. So uh, that was that was my child of hope. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being vulnerable. Um, that's not really an easy thing to talk about, especially when we, we, were talk, we talk about domestic violence, we're talking sexual assault, and then you having the faith and, and having the hope and having her anyway, and then raising her. So now you can go to your third child because I had questions, but I'll let you continue. <laughs> okay, the third child is you. <laughs> And you were a child, you were my, because each child, it was something that God did with me. And he said that my first one was the promise of faith. The second one was my, the promise of hope. And the last one was my promise of love. Because you were the, you are the daughter of my high school sweetheart. Because when I was 15, 16, and 17, I was with your father for a long time and we that was my first love and I wanted to have a child when I was 15, 16 because I because I was not I, I figured I was taking care of my brothers and sisters and changing diapers and loving on them and my mama get mad, she would take them from me <laughs> and tell me they her kids or whatever because she would be mad at me for doing something whatever. And it always felt like, you know, everything I love would get taken away. And I thought if I had me a baby, you know, um, nobody's going to do me like that. I'm not going to play tug of war with my child. And I'm not going to do that. So that never happened. Let me just say, you know, but you happened later. You happened after I was out of the abusive marriage. And um, I was in a period where I was (laughs) diagnosed with something on my brain. And it didn't look like I was going to make it. And uh, I had two little kids. And so I wrote a will and ended up getting a miracle. So uh, so that I ended up not having anything. They, well, they couldn't figure out what happened to what was showing up on the x-rays. I had one x-ray, something showed. Second x-ray, something showed. Third x-ray, something showed. And the specialist went and got somebody else to try to figure it out. And they took a fourth x-ray. And by that time, God had healed me. So... During that healing time, during the time in between those x-rays, because I thought I was dying, <laughs> I I decided to call everybody that I can think of that had ever hurt me and harmed me and forgive them. Okay, because I thought that's how you do it. You know, so I, I called as many people and your father was one of those people. And after I forgave him, I realized all the love was still there, hidden under that anger, you know, um, and then we ended up getting back together again, and there you are. Wow, I'm just, I need to, I need a moment again, because I had no idea. Y'all, even though I grew up with her, and I'm hosting her, and I'm saying her actual legal name, that's weird, by the way, I just want to throw that out there. Um, I never knew about the brain. I never knew about that, and 
not parent. I'm just gonna say mom. Had, they thought I had cancer. They thought I had cancer. And Nisi didn't know. Brianna didn't know. My mama didn't know. Did nobody know? Again, this was a time when I got sick. And I told no one. I figured God was going to heal me, so I was not going to make everybody crazy. And evidently, I didn't like secondary gain, people feeling sorry for me. So I kept it. Again, my independence was, again, was a weakness. Okay, because I should have asked for help. But and because I had a faith strong enough, um, like I said, I had three, three faulty x-rays. I mean, three, I'll say three faulty x-rays, or, or three x-rays where there's positively saw something. And then the last x-ray with the surgeon who the x-ray came back clean. So that's phenomenal. I was like, yeah. that is phenomenal. And I that here, but what I think is so cool about your story is that yeah. wasn't the first time a miracle happened in your health. Can you walk us through the 14 years where you were um you had a total of 48 diagnoses. You were given a notice um, by your primary care doctor that um, you have a backpack full of medicine. There's no longer things that she can do for you. And you are on your own. Um, and then after that, if I'm not mistaken, um, you left the company that you're currently at um, because it was you weren't safe enough to do it um, because you weren't 100% there due to the medications that you're on to treat the things that were currently going on in your body to you um, becoming homeless, uh, losing all of your stuff in storage. Um, and now you're at this point where you don't know what to do. I'm, for, um, I'm actually 13 years old at this time. And can you walk us through how you went from that point See now. mind you guys um she also did get her master's degree um going through a lot of other stuff that we're not going to just talk about right now on this but you guys can follow her and listen to that whenever that comes up but she also had her master's degree um through this and stuff like that um and she worked in therapy type of jobs so what is it really what was the healing like because you went from a therapist counseling and working on group homes, working in prisons, doing like doing all this amazing stuff in church, doing a children's ministry. Like you, you were doing this thing, okay? So, <laughs> what what happened with your health? Because now I can say it's a miracle, but at the time it was not a miracle. Okay, what happened to my health is I did not realize that I was not properly taking care of my whole being. Okay, I dealt with the uh, abuse. I had therapy. I did all that. I was going to the doctors and I was doing what they were saying. I was at the church and doing what they were saying. Okay, I was doing all these different modalities that was supposed to bring healing to my mind, heart, and body, but I didn't know that I was energy. When I found out that, <laughs> well, then when I had that last near death experience, I found out that I was pure love, light, energy, okay? Until that time, I was healing, yes, and I'd already healed. When I had that experience, I'd already been healed of almost all 46 diseases, except for, except for one, uh, no, two. It was two. Mm -hmm. And that was high blood pressure and, no, three. High blood pressure, anemia, and allergies, okay? Um and I had to come through that. I had, I was told by God to, in order for, 
me to get saved from for, to be alive. I was going in and out of, I was crossing over back and forth, back and forth that second period of time. And my dad told me that I, that, you know, he said, fuck with the doctor. said, this is my dad. That's how he talks. He said, fuck the motherfucking doctors. They don't know what the hell they saying. He said, and then I heard a voice say, you shall surely live and not die. And so I woke up from that, that, that leaving and coming back. And I said, okay, God, if I'm supposed to live and I die, you got to be my hands, my feet, my mouth, my eyes, my ears, my nose, because I had something wrong with every part of my kidneys, my, my heart, my, my veins, everything, you know, because I had all, like you said, it was 46, not 48, 46 different diseases, autoimmune, and there, any one of them could have took me out, okay, but uh, for some reason, I was still here, and so then I heard God say, well, if you gonna, if you want me to do that, you gotta forget everything that you think you know about who I am, and let me take you on the healing journey. And before that, I said, God, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired because I couldn't even sleep inside the house. I had to sleep on the patio for six months because I couldn't breathe indoors. Okay, mm -hmm. so I watched bugs crawl, and and I that's a whole nother. I was talked to by animals, okay? It was, it was funny, I was talked to by animals, but when I had to forget everything that I knew about God, he took me on a journey for himself. And he and then I started, I was on a learning, I was on a learning journey and I had to figure out what was wrong with me. And that came first. And it was the biggest thing that was causing all the diseases, all the myriad of things was celiac disease, okay? And that's where you can't, your body cannot process gluten. And you and all and you're not getting nutrition to all these different areas of your body. Hence, the area that is not getting nutrition gets diseased. Okay, and because I had gluten was a big part of my diet because you had to eat all your grains because I was pretty tried to eat healthy food, but because I cooked all the time when y'all were little, um, but. Um, you know, you had to eat grains and bread and this and that and the other, and then find it. It was the that, pyramid, right? that um yeah that, 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 trying, to follow. trying to follow trying to follow the pyramid you need so many serves of this so many serves of that and i tried to keep y'all on a healthy balanced diet yet i kept getting sick and then the doctors were blaming me for getting sick and then i find out because i had you i couldn't by this time in my sickness i couldn't read or write and i don't understand why i couldn't when letters were transposed uh and um when i tried to sign my name i would forget how to sign my name so it was like I, I had to pass that stuff over to somebody else to do for me because I be, and then I became a phasic where I could hardly talk. <laughs> so uh, you had to do the research for me and I made you and I, and I acted like I was back in school. And it was like the scientific method, ruling out this, ruling out that, ruling out this, ruling out that. And I had you write, make charts of all the people in my family who had all the different diseases, all the people in the family who had all the different drug addiction, all the alcoholics, all the sexual molestation, all the everything. And then I had to do the commonalities between all the relationships, all the eight people, all the eight people that I was going to marry, what all these relationships have in common. And then I had you do, I had you do research and I had you make PowerPoints. I don't know if you remember all that about gluten and how all the diseases is caused. I had you make a whole PowerPoint for me that, I, that I shared with my family. Okay. I, I don't know. 
My uh, here, I actually brought that to school with me one day, and I showed it to my biology teacher, Mr. Acott, and he was like, oh my God, Trent, and I was like, this is the research that we're doing. And he's like, that's phenomenal. So I do remember it. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought it to so, school. <laughs> yeah, so when I realized that my body had different needs than what they tell you that everybody needs, and that I was an individual because I had individual DNA, I had to figure out what my body could tolerate and what it couldn't. And none of the allergy tests that the doctors was given was telling them the right stuff because certain allergies you can't tell by a blood test or you can't tell by a needle prick, okay, mm -hmm. or stuff put under your skin, like gluten. That's not one you can tell. So it was a matter of finding out what was wrong with me, then getting blood, blood numbers from the doctor, having them give me copies of every blood test they did of me, so that I can figure out what foods I needed to eat, what foods I needed to eliminate in order to get the number to change out of the red zone into the green zone. And I did it one by one, okay? I didn't try to do it all at one time. I, it was baby stuff because mm -hmm. this healing journey has been going on a long time. And then, hey, miraculously, well, I guess about 10, 11 years later, I was given a clean bill of health. That was like four years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, where I was told, hey, I'll see you next year. I was like, huh? I was like, huh? And, and you know, people say, what do you mean? You, that's, you have a physical every year. No, I went from going for a physical every year to going every six months to going every three months to going every two months to going every month to going every motherfucking week and then being in the hospital in between. So, no, when they say see you next year, that was, I celebrated my ass. I gave myself kudos all over the place, okay? But yeah, that, that's, that's, that's how that went down. And now I'm here having understanding that energy is what it's all about. And that's that divine spark that keeps you breathing or gives you that prana. And that's your life force. And that, that we have an energy body that needs tending to. And that because we are all, we're energy at our core and we have to take care of the body so that the energy can raise, you know, and we have to deal with all that stuff. I was told to stick down in, in, the, in, the, in the dirt and forget about it. All that stuff had to be brought up and they, people call that your shadow self. Okay. I think it was Carl, Carl Young or somebody like that. I don't remember all the psychologists because this is a year. Uh, that's a long time ago for basic psychology, but I think it was Carl Young or something like that. Um, it it, it is. About Okay, who talked about the shadow self and all that kind of stuff. And the shadow self is, is the fact that when we when we figure out energy, energy never dies. Energy can't get sick. Energy can transmute, it can change, it can get stifled, it can get blocked, it can get constipated, but it but it is always here. And everything that's made, that ever, you ever see, is made of energy. That we can't see the energy moving. But energy is always moving. And when we hold things inside of ourselves, uh, feelings, emotions, hurts, pains, uh, slight, and we don't see it through the eyes of love, that energy gets blocked and trapped until we see it through the eyes of love. And that's the target that we're supposed to be hitting so we're not sinning against ourselves. Because when we don't hit the target of coming from love with ourselves and others, there's a lot of crap that goes on in between, like the stuff I grew up with. Mm -hmm. My mother didn't know about doing no work. She didn't know nothing about any of that kind of stuff. All she knew was what she was told. You and know, that's... but I... Okay. We are about to wrap up. And 
I am thankful for Lois for sharing her story. I'm thankful for Lois for fighting her fight because if she didn't fight her fight, I would not be in existence. And I like existing on this book. Just going to let you know that. I'm very happy I'm here. So I'm very happy she fought um, to be where she is now. And I... And I will say for Carl Jung, it's ego, persona, shadow. Thank BTS for the fact that I know that. Just going to throw that out there. Um, and then <laughs> um, I just have one more section I want to talk about um, when okay. it comes to your life. And it's okay. finances. Um, okay. What I remember you telling me when I was younger is um, your mom kind of taught you how to rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, I personally saw payday loans where it was, you said it was one time, but I thought it was all the time. Um, there was pawn shops, stuff like that. I know that you also had a battle with Social Security in regards to stuff. So can you take us over high level of your financial mm-hmm. life and what that looked like as you progressed in the years? Okay, um, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I, this is, I, mean, I think I've ever said this, but when I was 18 years old and w- went to college and I tried to get into the dorms, I couldn't get into the dorms because I had bad credit. And I never had credit. Okay? Oh. <laughs> because, like I said, Mama Rob Peter to pay Paul, and if we needed some lights on, she would use us, our names and social security numbers. So by when I, I started out with bad credit. So it took me years. By the time I finished college, I had got that credit thing on, on lock, you know, where I figured out, okay, I got to clean this up. I got to do that in order to do whatever I want to do. And that was part of what I had to do when I was in college was clean up the credit that, the bad credit that I had that I didn't make myself. So that's how I started. Now, when when the payday loans came into picture, that was a time when I was by myself raising y'all, and I think I was still in school. That means I was still working part-time and doing hair and all that kind of stuff, and you guys will come up with an instrument needs to be fixed, okay, because it's broken. A uniform needed to be bought, you know, and the money wasn't there at the time. So uh, the, the pawn shop didn't come in until later, but I knew that if I get a payday loan, I can go and, I pay and get you what you need and you only lacking that and you'll have yours when the band marched or whatever the situation was because it, it was not in the budget, okay? The budget covered everything else. But if something came up that wasn't in the budget, uh, sometimes a payday loan was necessary. However, getting a payday loan didn't mean you can pay the payday loan off when you after you right after you got it. It meant that you had to keep on paying it because the money you just got on the payday loan, you took it away from something else that needed to be paid later because remember, the thing you got the payday loan for was not in the budget. So mm-hmm. yes, I had to go and pay over and over and over all that interest in order to get some things off of me, okay? And it took a minute. And then, okay, got them things off of me, and then I stopped working because I was too sick to work. And we were going from doctor to doctor, lost my health insurance, everything, so we had to start paying for the medication. And as you said earlier, I had a backpack. Yes, ma'am. Cobra. Didn't you get that? Like, I thought that still was a thing because it's a thing nowadays, but it wasn't a thing Cobra, Cobra was a thing. Okay, Cobra was a thing, but it does it doesn't didn't pay 
the co-payment of everything. You, there are co-payments that had to be paid for medications, and some medications weren't formularies, and they were not, they were formularies, and so they were not on the thing to be paid for. So some, some prescriptions, I had to go to find the cheapest price to pay for that thing, and other ones were covered by the co-payment. And the COBRA, I didn't want, I didn't have money. Remember, if I'm not working, ain't no money. You know, mm-hmm. I got I, I got uh, the money from this the, from work for a minute, and you, you have know, three kids. To, okay, yes. well, and two were in college, and you had you were in private school at the time when I was pulled off of work. So I had a lot of balls in the air, as you said. <laughs> so but, many, you know. Eventually, you drop one, and it's a cavalcade of balls falling everywhere, all around you, and that's what the hell happened. And. I ended up having to put my jewelry, because I love jewelry, put my jewelry in the pawn shop for medication. All of it didn't go in at the same time. It was over a period, like two years, where I had to give up a, a, a ring or whatever, because when it was time to get it out, I couldn't afford to get it out, because I gave the money to the people for the medicine. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it was it was one of those things. And, and then I had, I was blessed to have the health insurance as long as I did, because a friend of mine who I had met online and they're a really nice person told, told me that God told them to pay my health insurance for a year. So we had it for a whole year, <laughs> you know, and they were paying $700 a month. So I, God sent beautiful angels, mm-hmm. uh, earth angels to help me during that time. So that even though we were homeless, we were never homeless. Because we had a car at all times, you know what I mean. We had we car had and friends uh, and Walmart, yeah. Because there were times we slept at Walmart in the car and Walmart because they got they stayed open twenty four hours and RVs and all that stuff across the country were able to park at Walmart's parking lot and they don't bother them, you know when they drive. So I heard that and that's what we did and that way we had a bathroom to go into and all that other kind of stuff. So I did the best with what I had, no matter what situation I was in. I did the best with what I had. And what I had at that time was a car and money for food. And it was, so we never went hungry and we never were completely homeless. And we only had to sleep in our car maybe once or twice during that whole period when I didn't have income. And then the battle with Social Security, I paid in, I started working when I was 13 and I paid in security, Social Security for many, 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 many moons because up until the time I was pulled off work, I always had some type of job somewhere. Okay. <laughs> so they wanted to fight me and wanted me to keep going from place to place, telling them all the symptoms, all the stuff, and doctor to doctor and doctor to doctor. And I did for the, the first the first time, which was, you know, uh, when I was at the sickest. And eventually they gave me the money. Okay. Uh, then... <laughs> They started when it was time to renew it. Uh, I missed it because my daughter was in the one that was handling the finances and stuff. Because I thought you couldn't read and write and stuff. Uh, was in Japan and I missed a court date, so they took and it away. That was away. Brianna. Just that to make was sure Brianna. We have yeah. contacts. Okay. Yeah, that was Brianna. They took it away, and then as I started fighting for it, I was recognizing that the more I repeated the symptoms, the more I said how sick I was. The, uh, or had been because they want to know the worst. They want to know the medium. They want to know the end. They want to know. They want you to just. They just want you to stay sick. I think. I don't know. And I realized that I. The more I talked about 
the symptoms and all the stuff that was going on in my body, the sicker I was getting. So mm -hmm. I had a talk with um, you, Brianna and Nisi. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> we were in that house you're living in now. And I said, I don't want to fight with them anymore. I don't want to fight against or fight for anything. And, you know, because God told me that, you know, I thought about it and what I'm doing right now with my house and stuff, I'm able to make it. I just needed somebody, Brianna, to pay the light, I'm not the um, insurance and $100 a month, basically. Okay. And then, you know, uh, whatever, she can claim me on her tax. Basically, that mm -hmm. was the deal. Okay. And the whole thing is that that let me be able to afford me the peace tour so I can go into my stuff and really begin the healing process. And that was when I understood that the energy was the thing that was still keeping me uh, in illness. Because like I said, psychologically, I knew I dealt with all the stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, mentally, I knew it. Financially, I knew I healed, healed both. Everything that I could do, I did, but I hadn't uh, dealt with the energy. And so I learned about energy and God took me through all different types of uh, different mediums in order to learn different things from yoga to finding out about crystals and earth minerals to find out about that everything has a, a 7.83 megahertz to sustain perfect life here and all kinds of stuff and touching trees to draw energies and, and rock and and just learning, just learning about it, and then being, and then over the last year, understanding that that we all are in this big energy ball that's eight meters, eight meters in a circle all around us, and it's called the Merkaba, and that is when your Merkaba is lit up, and and you're vibrant, your energy because because your energy is high, and the more the higher you raise your vibration, the more effect that this energy ball that you're. Uh, you're able to access and the wisdom, the whatever that's in there because it holds your whole soul's journey. It's your, what they call it, your Akash. Mm -hmm. It's where all the people that you ever love, the part, that part stays with you until you're gone and it still stays in this ball while you're here, you know? That's why I know my daughter's going away because when I, when I had those three near-death experiences, that's where I went and that's where I was able to see everybody that's why I know I know that ain't nobody gone I just can't physically see them but their energy is here if I want to tap into that now I have a question yes ma'am uh, is this is that so we're going to go to closer to current and present so um, things have progressed um, pandemic happened uh, Brianna went on a trip Brianna came back with COVID uh, Brianna passed away mm -hmm. and things changed. My question mm -hmm. is, I know you're not homeless. You said you're in your guest room. What happened after that with your finances? Were you able, what were you, like, were you able, how, how were you able to like make it? Because mind you, during that entire time you weren't working, but there's still somehow money coming in kind of thing. So how, how did help? Help filling that gap. Okay, help filling that gap. Okay, well, I realized that <laughs> when I studied the energy and all that stuff, that money is simply energy. And energy can transfer, it can transmute, it can do a whole lot of things, but it has to flow. So I stopped thinking, saving for a rainy day, 
and started living and started living life to its fullest. And as I put the energy out there, the energy came back to me. And then as far as how did I make it, I followed my intuition and it led me to the house that I'm in, just like it led me to the house that you're in, just like it led me to the house that your sister is in. And I had envisioned myself in this house before I saw this house, so I knew this house when I got here. And I think I told you that before. Um, And the whole thing is when Brianna got sick, you know, I told you that God said that she would be a blessing to me all the days of her life because she had set aside money for us. We were able to take that small amount of money that we were given. And because of my financial knowledge and acumen, I'm going to say like that, my business. You learned a lot. Oh, shoot, yeah. I, I, I've learned a lot over the years, so I've learned how to stretch that little bit of money out to where I live comfortably, you know, and, I, and I'm not worried about anything right now. And so, uh, you know, of course, it wasn't that much. However, like I said, I've learned how to, I've learned finances, that's all. And, I, and I've, I've taught it to you and taught it to your sisters. And you guys, you guys tend to be good at it when you want to be, okay? But um, yeah, so that, so that's it. And 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 the thing is, following my instincts, following what the spirit leads me to. You know, it's like I told you before. It's like the yellow brick road. The bricks light up when I get to them. And now um, I feel God is pulling me out of retirement because I like traveling, okay? And because I like traveling, I have to have more money. And during the process of me being sick and stuff, um, I started a life coaching business, which is WINGS. And WINGS stands for um, Whole Life Integration for New Growth Services, where I help people on this journey that I went on. And I, and I help them find out where they're stuck and find out where the chakras need to be cleared, figure out what maybe the foods they need to eat. Where You know, because I work with the whole being. I don't work with a piece of you. You know, we'll work on diet, we work on nutrition, we will work on the, the energy, we'll work on the psychology because um, throughout this journey, God took me through all different types of um, ooh, ancient religions and different treatment modalities where, you know, like where you get the energy medicine and energy frequency tapping, uh, the emotional freedom technique, which is energy frequency tapping. Um mm-hmm. Uh, from yoga, like I said, to understanding about the rocks and the minerals to, oh my Jesus, it's so much that I learned over this period of time because I had to study the body to figure out what the body needed in order to bring the, give the body what it was. Because when I found out I was pure love, light, energy at my core, I understood that meant I, uh, that energy can't get sick. So whatever I was doing, uh, I needed to change because God said I was healed already. I just have to recognize it. And I have to give my I have to maintain the healing. So if I'm already healed and maintain the healing means I needed to eat something different or do something different, that's what I did. And I did that the same thing with the finances. If if healing of my finances meant I needed to do something different, I did something different. So now now that I'm in a good place. You know, uh, I ain't going to say I don't I don't worry sometimes. Oh, yeah, because I'm a human being. But I understand that 
the only way is the worry is going to affect me is if I maintain that thought longer than 17 seconds and let it snowball into some other bullshit. Okay? Because every 17 seconds you hold a thought, it finds another, it's magnetized to another thought on its same level, just like it. So I try to keep my thoughts positive. And when I hear a negative thought come to me, like I, when I was on the mountain in Paris, uh, one thought says, you're too old to be doing this. <laughs> the other thought says, ease on down, ease on down the road. So I learned how to pull from my being that which I needed to keep moving. And, and I've learned how to transpo- transpose or transition a negative into a positive. Or I, I, I'll say like this, I've learned how to do like the dumb veto. I've learned how to look at my shit and take out all the impurities in my shit and then shine it up and make a nice home. That's an amazing talent. And I I thank you for all of what you said, all of what you done. And I'm just gonna I have to I have to give a summary of you and then I have to we have to let people know how to find you, okay? So I'm gonna summarize her entire story, y'all. And that is it's going to be a feat, so pray for me for a second. I receive your pr- the prayers. Thank you. Um, I should call her Dr. Lois Hampson because she went to her self-university and has perfected those areas, and she's still perfecting them. Um, she was a person that went on the opposites of what she learned. She doesn't lead by, live by fear. She lives by love. And she went from a place of she can never be seen to she is now coming out of retirement to be seen because of how amazing she has always been. She still loves to play and still has a riot of a time playing all the time. And she really is here for humanity for the fact that she passed away three times and then chose still, for some reason, to come back. And when she did, that's when rings came to be. So how can people find you? Because I know that your story resonated to a bunch of people, and they might want to find you now. So (laughs) can you let people know how to find you, please? Okay, I am Lois Hampson, L-O-Y-C-E-H-A-M-P-S-O-N, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, I have Wings, um, Life Coaching and Counseling on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, And my website is Neon Lee, which is N-E-O-N dot L-Y backslash Wings LLC. That's my web page. And then um, the other site is wings-llc.square.site. So that's where you can find me. Thank you so much. Your story really is the title of this talk, which is Labels Don't Define You. We have all learned. We forgot that part because they labeled me educally retarded. When I was seven years old, uh, okay, go figure, okay? That but. makes no sense. Because like I said, I've given you an honorary doctorate, okay? I've given you an honorary... I don't have the power to do this, but I'm giving you an honorary doctorate, okay? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah, I was supposed to be educated according to the elementary school I went to. But like I said, my mom was a mixed bag of tricks and home was a mixed bag of tricks. And she motivated me to believe in the power of me, you know, and and, and I did, I'm still on that journey. So I really thank you, Sharente, for having me be a part of your wonderful podcast where you uh, illuminate, I don't know what you call us, whatever it is. <laughs> Unsung heroes that live among us. I, I'm grateful that you found me to be one of your unsung <laughs> unsung heroes. Look, the words ain't gonna come out of my mouth. But yeah, thank I appreciate this talk with you. And um and I guess that that's all I have to say unless you have any more questions of me. No other questions, just to close us out. I will say again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your story. Thank you for defying all the things that you are taught. I thank you for living your life experience. I thank you for being who you are, what you have been through, what you have witnessed, what you have heard and what you have done. I thank you for all of it. And thank you for bringing me into this life in spite of everything that was going on in the pregnancy. I truly thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you for allowing my sisters to be here too. So um, I will say in closing that, uh, <laughs> oh, I might cry and it is what it is. Um, I'll say in closing that I, I'm grateful to be your daughter. I'm grateful to have witnessed part of your life not your entire life but part of your life and it has helped me to be the woman that I am it has helped me to be the other roles and other labels that I am and also let me know that I am none of those labels so I thank you for your living anthology I thank you for your current story and I'm excited for what is still in store because three dust down and you're back. So it's going to be something grand and something amazing. And I'm excited for whatever that is. Make sure you guys follow her. Thank you guys so much for listening to Speak From Your Heart show. And now we're going to go to the outro. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Sharente, for having me. And I thank you for being a fighter as well. I appreciate your your willingness to learn because I have friends who have children who they listen to their parents and sometimes I know why however but it, uh, to have uh, children that actually um, listen to their mother or listen to the wisdom wherever it comes from that's what I would say listen to the listening to the wisdom from wherever it comes from and then growing I appreciate you because you guys, my kids have surpassed all of the things that I ever wanted, okay, and who you've become and at the age you've become it. So I am, I am so grateful that you are my child, okay? You know, I get on here and I listen to you and I get the tears, man. I'll be like, that's my baby. That's my baby. You're my baby. That's a 
my baby, you know. And I do that when you're with my sister too. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my sister. That's right. That's my sister because she was she was one of my first babies. Okay, I'm gonna say that she was one of my first babies that I took care of. But yeah, it makes me proud to hear you hear the woman, the dynamic woman that you've become. The take no shit. Take no prisoners, woman, that you become. <laughs> leading, for, leading with a heart of love and making sure that, that you stand for what you believe in it and, and you say what you want. And then you go after it, knowing that, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to lead into this. What if everything we said, uh, every no, what if everything we thought came to pass? What would this Oh, no, Jesus. Like? Okay, so we got to realize that whatever, but that's what we do when we think thoughts, we radiate them all around us, okay? And if we're radiating thoughts all around us, if they're not of love, then we've missed the mark and we've sinned against ourselves because we are love light beings and we have to come from that love light center at all times. Sometimes it's a little challenging, but then when you realize that you, you create this by who you are, then it gets to keep downright fun. And now right now, I'm loving it and it's fun. And when I get triggered, I think it's just to hear. And like, and it says, then, oh my God, here I go again. I say, here I grow again. And I grow because I get to find, I just found out something else that's darkening my light. So to me, it's like when, when we come from that love and that center of our hearts, we turn into incredible women like you and incredible women like me. I'm gonna give myself kudos because it takes a lot of love to get to where I am right now, especially starting all my life with all fear. It was all fear, okay? And now it's nothing but love, you know? So it's like, you know, and then you're my child of love. And they said the greatest of all is what? Love, okay? So, and we are love. And as long as we know we are love, and this we talk with love, walk with love, eat with love. Be mindful of this, and then and and respond with love. Don't just don't just react. Respond. And when you do that, you elevate yourself. You bright shine your light brighter, and you elevate all those around you because everybody is interconnected in this same beautiful love light energy. And we got to see each other in our wholeness. We can't just see each other as as is. Because as is, is a manifestation of what's going on the inside of that person. So, so what you see that you don't particularly care for, then you got a whole pon upon of that shit. Because everybody's whole. They may be struggling, but they're whole. So I thank you for your time and, and, and your energy and for even asking me to come on your show. I, 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 I just like... I was kind of speechless because I thought it was just your podcast, you're doing your thing. But I appreciate I appreciate being featured as one of your guests on your on your second podcast. So thank you, I, and I will I say this because you. you might not know this. Besides Brianna, my first role model was you. So you have not never let me down. So thank you for leading by um, example and for you being you. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. And I think that's Andrea. Thank you, Andrea, for the for the um high five. Thank you, Andrea, for thank you. uh, Also, Lisa K for the claps. Thank you so much, Sunny. Thank you so much. Um, Oh, we had a lot of people doing the the claps. Okay. Okay. Thank you guys for the round of applause because Lois definitely deserves it. And because of that, now I have to do the the applause, and then we can do outro. And if whenever you want to hop, you can. But I'm gonna finish. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I love you and I'll talk to you later.
Bye. There you have it, y'all. Lois Hampson, M-A-M-F-T, founder of Wings, also known from me to her mommy. Um, Thank you really so much for listening in. Am I crying? Yes, I am. And it is what it is, y'all. Your stories move me. Okay, all stories move me. So we'll be back here for the live um, we'll actually, we'll be back for another episode in a couple of weeks. You'll hear, you'll know, because you'll I'll pop back up. So I will catch you guys at a later time. Outro! Thank you for listening to this episode of Speak From Your Heart Show. Remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Be sure to give us a follow or DM us on Instagram at Speak From Your Heart Show, your takeaways and thoughts on this episode. That's all for this show. Until next time, see you.